Hello, sweethearts. Thanks for joining me today on Love Letters 2, the daily podcast dedicated to wonderful and unexpected things. In today's episode, continuing through our month of first times and famous firsts, it is a love letter to Catherine Graham, the first ever female chief executive officer of a Fortune 500 company. She had the guts to defy the U.S. government by publishing the Pentagon Papers and the Watergate scandal. Through her courage and determination, she became the most powerful woman in journalism. I'm Alicia Mintz, and I invite you to join me today for this love letter to Katherine Graham, coming to you after a brief word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dear Catherine Graham, you were born Catherine Meyer on June 16, 1917 in New York City, the fourth of five children. Your mother Agnes was an author and philanthropist. Your father Eugene was a financier and later became the chairman of the Federal Reserve. You had a privileged and wealthy childhood, but your parents were not involved in the daily lives of you and your siblings, so you lacked a closeness with them. Although born in New York City, your parents owned several homes that your family went between, and you attended the Madeira All-Girls Private Boarding School in McLean, Virginia, just 20 minutes from Washington, D.C. Your father was completely engrossed in business and spent very little time with the family. In fact, you weren't even told when he purchased the Washington Post in 1933 at a bankruptcy auction. The Washington Post was dying at the time of the acquisition. As a banker, your father was mostly interested in the Washington Post as a hobby. You had been interested in publishing from an early age and worked on the student newspaper in high school. Like many well-bred girls of the time, you attended Vassar College in 1935, but after one year, you transferred to the University of Chicago because you wanted more excitement than Vassar offered. You worked at the Washington Post every summer throughout your college years. After graduating from college in 1938, you briefly worked at the San Francisco News, but returned to Washington a year later to work at the family business. In 1939, while back in D.C. working at the Post, you met Phil Graham, a Harvard Law graduate who was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter. After a short and intense courtship, You two married on June 5, 1940. When Phil entered the Army during World War II, you gave up reporting so you could go with him, but would return to the paper when he was sent overseas. Over the course of your marriage, you would have four children together, a daughter Elizabeth, born in 1943, and three sons, Don, Bill, and Stephen, born in 1945, 1948, and 1952, respectively. 
Even though you were college educated and enjoyed your work, you took care of the home and family and let Phil get the spotlight when it came to careers. Your father and Phil got along very well, and when your father needed someone to take over the Washington Post and your only brother was not interested, Phil was his next choice. In 1946, Phil Graham became the publisher of the Washington Post. Your father even gave your husband more shares in the company than he did to you, Catherine. Surprisingly, though, you weren't upset by this. In your memoir, many years later, you wrote, As Dad explained it to me, a man should be in the position of working for his wife. Curiously, I not only concurred, but was in complete accord with this idea. You would later describe yourself during this time as the doormat wife with no real career prospects or sense of professional autonomy. However, that was about to drastically change. Phil went through a severe depression in 1957 and then began to show symptoms of bipolar disorder in the 1960s. Although you and Phil had a happy and loving marriage, he became increasingly emotionally volatile and eventually even abusive when he was unable to manage his mental illness. He began to drink heavily, be less reliable, and put you down, even in front of others. Then, you overheard him on the phone with his mistress. Phil entered an inpatient facility for treatment. It appeared that he was getting better, so he was granted a weekend pass to come home in August 1963. While home for the weekend, Phil Graham completed death by suicide. On September the 20th, 1963, you were elected president of the Washington Post. Your sense of inferiority was so ingrained in you that you did not feel you'd be able to perform the job. Again, from your memoir, you wrote, I couldn't possibly do it. And initially, you saw your role to be a silent partner there to support the strong men around me, quote unquote, until one of your children could take over. You were so nervous to speak in front of your staff at the first holiday party with you as president that you practiced for hours how to say just Merry Christmas. Slowly, though, you grew in confidence and started to feel comfortable making business decisions yourself. You began to hire new people that you chose instead of just relying on the people your husband had hired. Probably the most impactful of these hires was Ben Bradley as managing editor in 1965. Bradley would become your business partner and ally in improving the quality of the paper. In 1966, Truman Capote called you to say he believed you were depressed and wanted to throw a little party to cheer you up. Everyone knew that Truman actually wanted to throw a party for himself, but that would be tacky. Regardless, you agreed, and that party became the famous black and white ball and went down in history as the party of the century. Gloria Steinem later wrote in Vogue magazine that that party gave you an opportunity to emerge on the national stage with people from areas of life you previously were not acquainted. It was also the beginning of the fashion press covering you, which was not done prior to the black and white ball. In 1969, you became the Washington Post publisher. You were really breaking ground now, since during this time, women were almost completely excluded 
from positions of power in news organizations and held less than 20% of all newspaper jobs. This placed you, Catherine, in a unique and powerful position because the publisher's role is to decide the editorial and commercial direction of the paper, and some big decisions were coming your way. On June 17, 1971, you made the controversial decision for the Post to publish the classified Pentagon Papers. These leaked documents included evidence that the U.S. government had withheld information about Vietnam, which could have changed public opinion. This was a monumental decision for anyone, but especially for you because you stood up to the government and your male advisors to whom you had previously deferred. When explaining how you made that decision against the legal threats against you, against the post, and against all advice, you said, what I essentially did was put one foot in front of the other, shut my eyes, and step off the ledge. Almost two weeks after publishing, the Supreme Court agreed that the freedom of the press did give you the right to publish these papers. Difficult decisions, though, were not behind you. In 1972, you became the CEO of the Washington Post Company, making you the first female CEO of a Fortune 500 company. On June 17, 1972, there was a break-in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters in the Watergate. Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein were unknown Washington reporters at the time, and they decided to dig into the story. We are all familiar with how this scandal impacted the country. You were threatened personally and professionally in an attempt to get you to drop the story. You refused, and those two reporters were unrelenting in their investigation because of your support. During the Watergate scandal, the Washington Post circulation increased dramatically and became the most influential newspaper in the U.S. Capitol and one of the most influential in the entire country. You remained as CEO until 1991. In 1998, you won the Pulitzer Prize for your memoir, Personal History. On July 14, 2001, you attended a media conference in Sun Valley, Idaho. You fell on the sidewalk and struck your head. Sadly, three days later, you passed away from the head injuries. You were 84 years old. The nation honored you, Catherine Graham, with a funeral at the Washington National Cathedral. In 2002, President George W. Bush posthumously awarded you the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Also in 2002, you were inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. Here's to you, Catherine Graham. You were America's first female Fortune 500 CEO and went from a self-described doormat wife to one of the most powerful women in the country. Your courageous decisions played a role in shaping the future of our nation and inspired so many to make their own courageous decisions. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love Letters 2. Until we meet again, darlings, stay in love. Thanks for listening to Love Letters 2, a Hemlock Creatives production. Feel like showing some love to Love Letters 2? We'd love it if you tell a friend or leave us a kind review or even come and visit us on social media. You can find us at Instagram or Facebook at Love Letters 2 Podcast. 
You can also reach out and email us at loveletters to podcast at gmail.com or visit our website at loveletters to podcast.com. Until we meet again in the next episode, darlings, stay in love.